0: Welcome to Engage Boise. We hope that you enjoy this live recording of our Sunday service. This morning, I want to talk to you about something we saw in most of these kids up here. I'll say most, maybe not all of them, but we saw it today. Joy, capital J-O-Y, two exclamation points, Joy. Not just like Joy with lower case letters, but Joy, big letters, two exclamation points. There's something that we tend to do as humans sometimes, and that is we often have a hard time accepting something that is great. Our tendency can be when we see something that is really good, even if it's something that we hoped for, to immediately start talking about, well, why it's actually not that good. Or or if we can admit that it's good, how it probably won't be good for very long. Yeah, it's good today. It probably won't be good tomorrow. If you're a sports fan, you're really familiar with this phenomenon that we go through. Because we wait, and we wait, and we wait, and we wait for our team to win a championship. And then what do we, what do we say right away? Probably not going to win next year. Going to lose all their best guys. I know, so I have my Dodgers uh, mug that Greg gets ready for me every week here. My Dodgers, oh, come on. It's going to be, I mean, if they don't win, it's going to kind of be a joke, right, with all the guys they're signing. But the Dodgers... I started watching baseball in 1988, and then won the World Series in 1988. Or Hershiser, Kirk Gibson, you know, he hit the homer. It's on all the, like, 80s compilation videos because it was so iconic. I remember where I was at our house, Fairchild Air Force Base, laying on the hardwood floor watching it. And uh, I started watching baseball around then, and I thought, well, this just must be what it's like all the time. Dodgers win the World Series. Took them 30 years to get back there. I finally won it in 2020, and everyone says that one doesn't count because it was the COVID year. Whatever, it counts. Maybe your favorite band comes out with a new record. Maybe you love music, favorite band comes out with a new record, and uh, you're excited about it, comes out. But your first reaction, it's not as good as the last one. Old stuff was better. (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. (laughs) Maybe you are a movie person, right? Movie sequel comes out. And what do we often say before we ever even see a sequel? Sequels are always terrible. Every sequel is bad. Of course, we are actually right most of the time on that one. Most of the time, sequels are not that good. Except Top Gun Maverick, if you haven't seen that one, that's a good sequel. Uh, that's how you do it. On the other hand, I think the picture of Joy, all the time, Joy, capital J-O-Y, two exclamation points, is our golden retriever, Finn. I think I talked about him last week or two weeks ago. Uh, we got this dog over the summer. Uh, we had a golden retriever for a long time that was the sweetest dog. And we got this other one. Uh, Finn to go along with our border collie who needed a companion. And Finn, this last week, he had the dreaded surgery. You know, the one the dog's got to have sometimes. You know, they don't try and make babies, that kind of thing. So uh, Finn had this surgery on Wednesday. I uh, took him in the morning, went and picked him up Wednesday night. And, you know, it's, he, it's a pretty rough deal, I imagine, for a dog. I don't imagine there's a lot of things more painful. But, man, I'm not kidding you, 24 hours after surgery... This dog's wagging his tail. One of his trademark things he does is he, I call him Curious Finn, like Curious George. It's like living with a real life Curious George. He just will like walk by a table and be like, oh, coasters, and grab them and walk off. 24 hours later, he's grabbing granola bar wrappers out of the trash, just eating them full on. 24 hours after having that surgery, it's the picture of joy. I'm convinced one of the reasons God made dogs actually. Let's us have them is to remind us to have joy all the time. Because they're so happy to see us no matter how bad the day has spent. Even if we made them be outside in the cold, right? They come, we come home, they're so excited. Of course, we aren't really here to talk about sports or music or movies or even dogs today. Um, it's Christmas Eve. We're here to talk about Jesus, the Christmas story. And some of what I'm talking about today, I read this article like several months ago by this guy named Todd Brewer. And he was talking about how we sometimes take the joy out of Christmas. And if we're not careful, we tend to take a lot of the joy out of the greatest story ever told. Because that's what uh, Jesus coming to earth is, the greatest story ever told. And I would submit to you today, Jesus did come to earth in the most humble means possible. He did. He was not born into a rich household. He would be rejected by mankind as a whole at first. But I also would want to say to you today that those humble circumstances of Jesus, they're one of the things that bring us joy. Like the kind of joy that uses capital letters and exclamation points. The kind of joy that makes you want to go yell from the rooftops. The kind of joy that doesn't just last for a few minutes or a few hours, but it lasts the entirety of time. So I want to talk for a few moments this morning. Try not to keep you too long because it's Christmas Eve. About how we know it was a joyful occasion. When Jesus was born, when he came to earth. Why it should bring us joy and how we find that joy. We're going to set the table this morning. If you have your Bibles, uh, we're going to read just a short piece of the Christmas story that will be somewhat familiar to to you. Uh, Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 8 is what we're going to read this morning. I'm reading to you uh, out of the NIV. Luke 2, 1 through 8. Your section title probably says something like the birth of Jesus. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. In a few minutes, we're going to talk about why there was such great joy, but I want to talk to you first about a few misconceptions we might have about the Christmas story that we just read. Just from those eight verses, there's misconceptions that I believe can steal the joy from Jesus coming to earth. To summarize what this, our view of this passage often is, right? If you're just a modern Christian, modern person who comes to church on Christmas and Easter, right? Uh, here's the, the modern version of it, right? They come to Bethlehem. All the hotels have been booked. The snow is falling, and they're just hoping to stay warm. They end up in a cave or a building that's meant only for animals, Mary and Joseph are alone, and Jesus is born. He's laid in a feeding trough. That's the nutshell version that most of us know about the story of Jesus. And now Jesus, like we said earlier, he was born into humble circumstances. That's the truth. And it's an important part of the story. But the way we describe it, I believe sometimes it points us more towards sadness and loneliness than it does joy. And I believe it's supposed to be about joy. Capital letters, two exclamation points. So let's unpack those circumstances for a moment. First, it's important to understand that Joseph and Mary, uh, we read it there, they went to Joseph's hometown. They went to Joseph's hometown. They went to the place that Joseph was from. There was a census that had been decreed there. So Joseph, he's forced to travel to his hometown. If it was like the other population counts of ancient times, uh, Mary might not even have been required to go. But, of course, like any good man, Joseph, he's not about to leave his pregnant, uh, soon-to-be wife, Mary, home on her own while she's just a few months away from giving birth. That would be a bad husband, bad fiancé thing to do, right? And what a good man Joseph was. I've talked about this before, man. Joseph, a man who took care of Mary and the unborn baby, even though they weren't married. Hadn't consummated the marriage, the Bible says. And Joseph, I'm sure, because humans are humans, he faced all kinds of ridicule from people who did not believe his story. Sure, and Immaculate Conception, Joseph. Wink wink, right? But Joseph, he didn't go somewhere unfamiliar. He went to his hometown. It's important to understand. He went to where people knew him. And the reason this really matters is because Joseph, he would not have been alone in his hometown. When you go home to the people that you know, to your family, you're not alone. If it's anything like your hometown and my hometown, especially if everyone has to come back for the census. He got there, and he joined a bunch of other family members, the aunts and the uncles, and the cousins, the second cousins, and the brothers and sisters, the one kid that calls himself a cousin so that way he can be a part of the family reunions because he hears that they're fun. All of them would have been there. And then around the time of Jesus' birth, even we know this, it's not, it was not nearly as common for people to move long distances, And the reason it matters that Joseph came back to his hometown is because there would have been people there that loved him. And instead of being lonely, actually, they probably arrived to family members that Joseph hadn't seen recently. Maybe they'd heard about this person, Mary, but never met her. This part is not in those eight verses that we just read, but I'm going to guess there was some grumbling from family members about being forced to travel for a census that seemed like it was unnecessary. What they probably did when they got there is start exchanging stories about their journey, about their travel, right? This is what we do when we see our family after a long while. They start talking about probably their annoyance with the government. All the rules, the regulations they're being subjected to, including this dumb census they don't even need to be doing. I imagine that it would be like uh, if we went through a bunch of construction and we all met in the same place. What do you say inevitably when you meet your family and you've gone through construction? I'll tell you what I say. Bunch of workers just leaning on their shovels. Had to wait all that time. They've been working on that interchange for two and a half years. This is the kind of stuff they would have been talking about. Man, Man, the Roman government making us take a census. They don't even care, right? These are all things we'd be saying. This is the kind of situation Joseph walked into. Like I said, it's not in those eight verses, but this is what Joseph would have done with his family. Joseph's family was there, and that's what families do. We should also note that Bethlehem is not just any town. Kind of hints at it in there, but Bethlehem was actually a royal place. It was a small town. It was out of the way, but Bethlehem was a royal place. Because it was also the birthplace of King David. You see, Jesus would not be the first king to be born in Bethlehem. If you look back in the Old Testament, multiple places in 1 Samuel where it tells us that David and his family were from Bethlehem. We know from the prophet Micah in the Old Testament that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. So this census that may have seemed pointless was being used by God to fulfill the prophecy that had been given. Just a tiny bit closer look, we can see Joseph went home to where his family was. And Bethlehem also was the birthplace of King David. It was a royal place. We also know, and it mentions it in that passage we read from the genealogy in Matthew 1, that Joseph was in the line of David. It wasn't just any guy when it came to the people of God. Joseph was in the line of David. And because Joseph was from the line of David, very unlikely he would have come to his hometown and been rejected. He would have come to his hometown and his family, at the very least, would have accepted him. And you do kind of have to connect the dots a little bit to look at it this way, but not very much because none of what we're talking about would have been unusual at all. just how a family would have acted. It seems very, very unlikely that Joseph, who was a son of the royal line of David, he would have arrived in his hometown and not had family there. So Joseph, he has arrived with his pregnant, soon-to-be wife, and you may be asking, yeah, Joseph's family was there. This all actually makes a little bit of sense. So why did he have to sleep in the manger or the feeding trough? Well, he did do that, he was a, but there's a small misconception. Uh, something that helps us understand there may have been more big joy, J-O-I, capital, exclamation, capital letters, exclamation points, than we first thought, is that the manger was probably not located quite where we thought. Traditional uh, translation of Luke one seven. Uh, if you have like King James, New King James, it says there was no room for them in the inn. If you have the newer NIV, like I read, it says uh, there was no guest room available for them. Of course, if we hear no room in the inn, that's that makes us think of a motel, right, or a hotel. And however, I'm going to get do a little bit of a. Uh, deep studying on you here, the Greek word that's translated in, in your King James Version, I can't pronounce it very well, but it's uh, kataluma. I think we have it on the screen there. It's better translated as guest room, like it does in that new NIV. And if you want proof, we can look at the other place in the New Testament where that word kataluma in Greek is used, which is Luke 22, 11, When Jesus comes to Jerusalem for the Passover, not long before the crucifixion, he's looking for a room to eat with his Disciples, look at this, Luke twenty-two, eleven. The teacher asks, where is the guest room? Kataluma, where I may eat the Passover with my disciples. See, both Luke 1 and Luke 22, the same Greek word is used. The Greek word actually for uh, a room in a hotel or in, as we traditionally have used in the Christmas story, I can't pronounce this one, it's even worse, uh, pandoxion. And it's used Luke 10.34, the parable of the Good Samaritan, which we all know. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, Pandoxion, and took care of him. So here's the point. If Luke had meant to say "in" like hotel room "in" in chapter 1, this is the word he would have used. The second one there. And the point is that where the early translations they wrote down "in," the more accurate translation would have been guest room. There was no room for them in the guest room. You're like, okay, sure, I guess I believe you about that. But if they could not get into the guest room, why did they have to sleep in a manger? Well, here's the, here's the reason. Uh, in regular first century Israelite houses, lots of them had a manger on the ground floor. I think we have a drawing for you there, yeah. The reason is because they kept their domestic animals inside at night. You can see a donkey and some chickens there. I'm not sure, oh, it's a goat. Uh, that looks like a baby gate right there. We use those to keep our dogs out of areas. We don't want them in the house. Not very effective a lot of times, actually. But see, they've got the goat back there behind the baby gate. They kept their, domest- their domestic animals inside at night. So they had a way to feed him, way to keep them warm when the weather did get cold. So yes, Jesus was laid in a manger, but it was likely inside, around the rest of the family. And that changes our perspective a bit. Instead of being out in the barn, he's inside the house with everybody else. And finally, we should note that uh, there are sheep and there are shepherds nearby. And that fact tells us it was more likely summer than winter. You may have heard that before. Luke 2.8, right? There was shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. All that means is that it was probably warm and not cold. And all of this stuff, it seems like really small details, but you put them together and you find that, yes, the circumstances were humble. You have probably done this before. You've probably come to town, crashed on a family member's floor or couch because the guest room is already occupied. You've probably all converged somewhere, commiserated together about how bad the trip was, how bad the travel was. But the point is that even if the lodging was not ideal, Jesus' birth in Bethlehem was cause for celebration and not sadness. It might have been out of the way. Bethlehem was out of the way. The house may have been crowded. Uh, It's in that graphic. You couldn't hardly see it, but these houses were pretty small. House may have been crowded. They may have had to clean out the feeding trough as best as they could because the goats used it the night before. But it was probably during a warm time of year. And none of that stuff that we just mentioned would have changed the joy, that overflowed. When Jesus was born, J-O-Y, capital letters, two exclamation points. Was it a humble beginning? Yes, for sure. But was it somber? I don't think so. It was anything but somber. Again, there's a tiny bit of inference there, although the Greek words help you know that this is probably the direction we should think. Some of what we talked about is just looking at the culture of the time. But I do have for you three reasons that I am certain there was joy that day. First one is this, everyone sang. Everyone sang. We sang this morning, right, unspeakable joy. Joy to the world. Everyone sang. I know that singing is not always a cue that there is happiness. Uh, there are certainly songs that are born out of sadness. Those are in the Bible as well. But in this case, everybody was singing. And where there is singing, there usually is emotion, emotion. the songs that we have the words for in this part of the Bible are breathtaking, actually. I'm just going to take a quick look with you at everyone who sang. Write these scriptures down as you go along. Go look at them later if you want to. The first one we have there is Elizabeth sang. if you're like, who's Elizabeth? She's another character in this story. Elizabeth, she was pregnant somewhat miraculously herself with John the Baptist you're familiar with the story, right? Her son, John, he would prepare the way for the ministry of Jesus on earth. Listen to what Elizabeth sings. And by the way, this is what Elizabeth sings when she becomes pregnant at the age of 88. We were somewhat surprised when we found out we were going to have a baby March 6th. I'll just give you a clue. 88 is not close to the ages of us, okay? <laughs> she becomes pregnant at 88, Elizabeth does. Luke 1, Here's the 88-year-old pregnant woman. She says, in a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Mary has come to talk to him. She's pregnant at the age of 88. Kicking enough that she says that the kids are like leaping together in the womb, John and Jesus. And she said, why am I so favored? The mother of my Lord should come. That does not sound like a somber woman to me. This is the song of someone who, even though she somehow has become pregnant at the age of 88, she's full of joy, capital J-O-Y, two exclamation points. Another one you can write down, Mary sang. Mary, mother of Jesus sang. And there's a beautiful part in, uh, in Luke, Luke 1, through 55. It's referred to as the Magnificat, probably in your Bibles. Probably a, a subtitle, the subtitle might say Mary's Song of Praise, We're not going to read the entire thing, but look at how it begins. Luke 1, 46 through 48. This is Mary, mother of Jesus. And Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. This is the teenager who's become pregnant by immaculate conception, having to explain this to people over and over again, I'm sure. And if you read the rest of what Mary sings there, she realizes the gravity of the situation. The Bible even says for Mary that when Gabriel, the angel, shows up to tell her what, uh, that she will become pregnant with God's son, she is greatly troubled. It says before that. She's greatly troubled because she knows, Mary knows, any uh, good person in this culture, they would have known that if an angel shows up to talk to you, like in the sky, uh, it's a really big deal, and it's usually not something good. That's why the angel says, do not fear, and it's why it says she's greatly troubled. But she sings with joy and not sadness. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. She sings with joy and not sadness. We see also that Zachariah sings. If you don't know who Zachariah was, uh, he was the father of John the Baptist. He was Elizabeth's husband, the lady who got pregnant at age 88. Zachariah, we think, was about 70 where John the Baptist was born. And I, just when I was looking at it this week, I was thinking uh, he, Zachariah was in for a lot of late nights at a pretty advanced age. I'm thinking 44, which is how old I am, sounds like really old to be getting up in the middle of the night with a baby. This guy had some years on me. In fact, Zechariah was so surprised that when the angel Gabriel, same came to Mary, that when the angel Gabriel comes to let him know that his wife would have a baby, he says to the angel, it's possible, sorry, you're wrong, angel. Because of his lack, lack of belief, Zechariah is rendered unable to speak until John the Baptist is born. And still, when he can talk again, Zechariah sings. I would only assume this is shortly after he can talk again when his son is born. Luke one sixty eight, sixty nine. 69. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. 70-year-old man. About to be up with the baby in the middle of the night. Just been mute for who knows how long because of his unbelief. And when he can speak, he says, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel. It doesn't read like sadness to me. That reads like joy, capital J-O-Y, two exclamation points. We see also the angels and the armies of heaven. They sang. We've seen what the people on earth are doing. And now we see what is happening in heaven. I'm going through these fast, but Luke uh, 2, 13 and 14 tells us this. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. And when a great company of the heavenly hosts appears and sings, it must have seemed like the sky itself was singing. I would have loved to be there the angels, the hosts of heaven, saying, finally back on earth, after they've seen Jesus, the shepherds sing as they return to their flocks. Luke 2.20, the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. The shepherds who were with their sheep come to see the Christ child They return glorifying and praising God. And the shepherds, they're headed out to what uh, could be a lonely job as far as we understand it. Being a shepherd was a lonely job because long days with sheep who could not talk back to you. Long days with sheep who we know can be kind of stubborn and obnoxious. And still the shepherds, they walk out and they're singing because of what they had seen. All of this stuff, it adds up to a scene in and around Bethlehem that it was full of joy and not sadness. There was joy there because everybody sang. A couple more quick reasons we know that there was joy. Number two, Jesus came to scatter the proud and exalt the humble. The reason there was joy in singing was not because of the circumstances that surrounded Jesus' birth, but because of the purpose. Not because of Jesus' circumstances, but because of his purpose. You see, what we learn to do as humans, I know I do this, is we base the posture of our heart on where we are now and what we can see now. In many cases, our humble circumstances are preparing us for a purpose that we might not see yet. Many of you may know some of the story of Jesus, right? When he began his earthly ministry, he didn't have much. He didn't ask for much. He walked the countryside for 12 of his friends, often dodging persecution and arrest. He did things like wash people's stinky feet. He said things that made both, of his, both his friends and his foes incredibly uncomfortable. Eventually, he would die a terrible death on a Roman cross, if you look at just those circumstances, it doesn't seem like there's much cause for singing. Bless you realize his purpose wasn't to build an earthly kingdom. His purpose was to scatter the proud and exalt the humble. Now that's something to sing about. Actually, right in the middle of the Magnificat, Mary's song that we referenced earlier, uh, she says this of her son who will be born. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. So Luke one fifty one through 51-53, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but he has lifted up the humble. The reason we can sing is because Jesus came to scatter the proud and exalt the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, Mary says. He has sent, but has sent the rich away empty. He has scattered the proud, exalted the humble. See, that day in Bethlehem was full of joy because because of the purpose that Jesus came for. And that was what God placed in the heart of everybody who sang, the purpose that Jesus had come for, even if they didn't realize all the details. Finally, the third thing we're almost done is we see that there was joy that day. Capital J-O-Y, two exclamation points. There was joy that day. Because the story didn't end at the cross but the empty tomb. The story's not over at the cross. Man, all of the best stories, all the best stories have a great ending. There is the occasional movie or book or something where they don't resolve the ending. And what you're supposed to do when you read the book or watch the movies, you're supposed to decide the ending on your own. You ever seen one of those where they, this is an amazing movie and then they don't tell you what actually happens and it's artistic and you're supposed to figure out what happened? I realize it's artistic and I realize it's the whole point and I guess those are good in their own way. But the best stories are the ones with a good ending. We're talking about Christmas, right? Think about Home Alone. Talked about Home Alone a few Wednesdays ago. Classic Christmas movies. Uh, if you have young kids, six, eight, ten years old, that have not seen Home Alone, sit down and watch it with them. It'll be the best part of your day. When they start, when, you know, Kevin McAllister starts pulling those tricks and the paint can comes down and hits the guy in the face. Man, it's so fun to see 8-year-olds react to that. But think about Home Alone, right? All they go through all that stuff. Think about if Home Alone stopped before the police come. Because if you've seen the movie, he does all the tricks, but after all, it's two grown-up men, and they're going to get him. And the police show up or think about it the police showed up but his family never comes home and you never find out what they said because the ending's the best part think about if you've seen the movie uh, How the Grinch Stole Christmas right think about if the movie ended before the Grinch's heart started to grow think about if all there was was the bad stuff You see him steal Christmas for the town and cute little Cindy Lou who Hazel reminded me of. And that's where the movie stops. So the ending is the best part. And the story of Jesus coming to earth. There was joy when he was born. There was a realization that something momentous, massive was happening. And that was a reason to celebrate. Over and over again, Jesus, he turned conventional wisdom on its head. When he was on earth, he fed multitudes, he defeated evil spirits, he healed sickness. But after 33 years on this earth, if you go read the Gospels, the story seems like it's ending with his his mother Mary, the same Mary who had sung the Magnificat, who we read parts of, weeping as her son is crucified. But you see, whether or not we see joy in the story all depends on where you stop reading. If you stop reading right there, seems like a sad ending. But friends, we can sing this morning like we're going to do tonight. We can sing about good news this morning. We can sing about great joy. We can sing about peace on earth because the story didn't end there. The story didn't end with a brokenhearted mother. The story didn't end with Mary weeping at the cross, but it ended with her realizing with astonishment that Jesus was not in the tomb. That's where the ending is. And that's why there's good news of great joy. There was joy, capital J-O-Y, two exclamation points, in the humble town of Bethlehem that night. Not because of the circumstances of the day, although maybe they weren't as bad as we thought after all. But there was joy because of the purpose that Jesus came with. Jesus came with a purpose, friends. That was to bring salvation, to bring new life to you and I you by your heads and close your eyes. We're almost done this morning. The purpose of Jesus was to bring salvation to you and I. Jesus tells us in the New Testament to read in the book of John, uh, John 10.10 10, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. You may have heard it said that he came to bring life and life abundantly. I don't know every one of your situations in here But I do know for sure that God's hope is that you will live a life that's full of his joy. The thing is, having the joy that God has sent to earth, it doesn't begin with uh, fancy cars or nice houses or big bank accounts. It begins with accepting the free gift of salvation that Jesus brought with him to earth when he came as a defenseless child. And today, what the Bible tells us, what the Bible that we read out of, it tells us all we must do in our hearts, and it's between us and God, is we just need to admit that we're sinners. Admit that we need the grace God has given us through Jesus. The Bible tells us to repent of our sins, ask Jesus to forgive us. And tell Jesus, the servant king who was born in a manger, Jesus, your Lord of my life. For those of you that already know Jesus today, I believe God wants us to know today that it's impossible for us to have joy without gratitude. If you've been struggling to find joy in what God has given you, it's really hard to do if we're not thankful. I've found that from personal experience. So if you have known the Lord for a while, but the days have gotten difficult and sometimes the joy is hard to see, at best it's the lowercase letters, not the capital ones with the exclamation points. We're just going to reflect in a moment, I want to encourage you to take a moment and express gratitude for God's grace, at the very least. And then from there, begin to even thank God for the tangible good things He's given you on earth, even if they're small. I want to be sensitive to what the Lord is speaking, and I'm just going to, uh, Pastor Joey's just going to play quietly like this, and I'm going to give uh, you a chance to talk to God today. If you're here today, friends, and you are far from God, And you know today you need to repent of your sins, ask Jesus to forgive you. I would encourage you to whisper a prayer to God today. Repent of your sins, ask Jesus to forgive you. Make Jesus Lord of your life. Just say those things in your heart, whisper them to the Lord. If you're here and you know the Lord and you're struggling to find joy and gratitude, just ask God for it this morning as we reflect on what he's doing in our midst. Just give the Lord a moment to do that, friends. Lord, I believe that uh, in this moment that you're speaking, I believe that you are raising lives to you today. I believe that tonight when we come back for uh, communion tonight, Christmas Eve service in the evening, candlelight communion, Lord, I believe uh, that you are going to call people to you. Lord, thank you because of who you are, because you were the servant king, because you came to serve, not dominate. Because you came, and even though you had all the power in heaven and earth given to you, you gave up your life. Thank you that because of that, Jesus, we have joy. Lord, for those that, uh, sitting in their chair just now, they whispered a prayer to you saying, Jesus, please become Lord of my life. I repent of my sins. For those that did that, Lord, I pray that you would just overcome them with your matchless grace. Let your love that never stops chasing them find them in this place, Lord. Overcome them with your grace and your mercy and your salvation. This day be a turning point in their lives for those, Lord, that have been hunting for some joy. But it's been tough sled, and Lord. I just pray you would let your joy arise in their hearts. Thank you, Lord, that you love us, you know us, you care about us deeply, and you hear every one of us as we pray. I pray uh, in this moment, as we've reflected on what you're doing, uh, you'd speak to the deepest parts of our hearts. (laughs) Lord, as we walk from this place, if it's been a tough day, Lord, I pray you would just let joy stare us right in the face. We love you, Lord. Thank you uh, for your presence here and what you're doing. In your name, Jesus. Friends, you can look up at me. We're almost done. Um, Thanks for coming to church today. If you are in your seat and you you said a prayer of salvation you asked Jesus to be Lord of your life there's a little card in the the front of your chair if you wouldn't mind checking a box um, we'd love to talk to you about it and and hear about what God's doing we also have a little book we'd love to give you just about serving Jesus Uh, if you come find me I'd love to give you one of those Uh, we're so grateful you came today Uh, please come back tonight we'd love to have you Uh, we're going to have a great time together just worshiping Jesus with as much joy as we can muster Thanks for coming to church on Christmas Eve. Uh, We will see you uh, hopefully tonight, and if not, uh, next Sunday. Thank you for coming. God bless you. We'll see you very, very soon. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to learn more, you can visit us at engageboise.com. Have an amazing day.